0: The scripture reading for today is John fifteen three through 8, or 5 through, five through 8, sorry. <laughs> I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words bide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This, by this, God is glorified, that you, much be, that you bear much fruit, and so, and so prove be my disciples. This has been the reading of God's word. <laughs> so this month, we're in a series called Prevailing Prayer, How to Move Mountains. We're in here because I want you to live a life that's marked by prevailing prayer. We're, we're focusing on this, this this month because more importantly, God wants you, I want you to hear this. God wants you to live a life that's marked by prevailing prayer. God wants you to live a life that's steeped in prayer. He wants you to live a life that is in deep and real communion with him where you regularly make bold requests of him that he's delighted to answer because a life of prayer is a life that counts a life of prayer is a life that counts and everybody wants to believe their life counts for something Everyone, whether it's at uh, your job or at your family or just in general, every single person desires to know that they make, that their life makes a difference, that it counts for something. Now, for a Christian, this is still true. You, you want to make a difference. You want your life to count for something, but it's, but it's a little different. A Christian is someone who wants to make a difference for God. At the core of who you are, Christians, all Christians inherently want to bear fruit for God. All believers intuitively, the instinctually know that that's something that they should do. In fact, if you, if you believe in Christ today, in your, in your heart, the very core of who you are, you want to serve God and you want to be fruitful for him. In other words, at the new birth, whenever you were born again, The core of a believer's mindset changes so that they they want to live in such a way that glorifies God, not their self. See, everybody wants to be fruitful. They want their life to be fruitful, but a Christian wants to be fruitful for someone else. The question is, how does that happen? Now, as I look at you guys this morning, I know most of you, I know some of you, and and a lot of you have been very active in church, maybe before or now, or maybe throughout your whole life. And in one way or another, you've either been burned by church or you've burned been burned out by your church activity. And that's some of you I know that's how you ended up here. You ended up here because you burned out or you are burned by church. Or maybe that's happened to you here. Maybe that's been your story. Maybe, maybe you've become exhausted in the house of the Lord. So much so, some of you guys, I that know that, that you can't even really try anymore. You've settled in your life to a certain, you desire to be fruitful, but you've settled in your life to a certain level of activity. A level of activity that you can handle. You learned how to protect those other parts of your life. Uh, maybe you've, you've backed down as much as you can from church and serving God because you've been burned by church or you've been burned by church activity to the point that you've backed down so that so you, so to the furthest point you can without feeling guilty. Or maybe you've just learned to live with a, a nagging level of guilt about your inactivity. And yet, as I just mentioned, in your soul, as we mentioned last week, In your soul, you long for more. You hope there's more. In your mind, you scream, there must be more to this Christian life. Even in your self-protecting and in your doubting, you still hope there's more to Christianity. And here in this amazing passage this morning, Jesus is offering you hope. Don't miss it. Don't miss this moment. Don't miss this message because Jesus' words come bellowing down throughout the centuries to us this morning. And they are as clear and as compelling, as challenging, and as exciting as they were on that dark night when he taught them to his disciples. When he first uttered these phrases, if you abide in me, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask Whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Do you hear those words? Can you imagine that kind of life? Can you imagine the kind of life where you abide in Christ to the point that you ask Him whatever you wish, and not just you ask Him and throw it up into the blank void up there somewhere, but you ask Him whatever you wish and you see that it's done for you. Can you imagine that kind of life? What if Jesus is calling you into a lifestyle that's different than what you tried before? What if he's calling you to a lifestyle that's not killing yourself in his name, but nor is it protecting your life in fear that you're going to be burned or burned out? In this passage, Jesus connects two of our desires that seem at odds with each other a desire for rest and belonging. Don't you desire for that? To rest and to belong and a life of real fruitfulness don't you feel that sometimes that you've ping pong? if you've walked with christ for very long don't you feel like you've ping-ponged back and forth between those two ideals a desire for rest and belonging and a desire to be fruitful and to feel that your life is counting for christ for god And Jesus says in this passage that the connection between those two desires is prayer. And he utters a daring promise for our prayer. Did you you hear that daring promise that he gives us? It's not just a throwaway statement. It's a daring promise from Jesus Christ, God himself. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, hear this promise, Ask whatever you wish. It'll be done for you. Jesus issues a daring and an unqualified promise. Did you, did you hear that? There is a condition, and we're going to get to that in a few minutes. So Some of you guys are all worried about that. Don't, don't forget the condition, Randy. Yeah, but just hold on a second. Let's just focus on the promise. It is a daring promise. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a billionaire coming to you and saying, Here's my MX Black. Use it however you wish. You'd be like, You may regret this, buddy. And see what I can do in a couple of days. Jesus says, Ask me whatever. Whatever, whatever you wish. And what? I might consider it. I'll take it under consideration. I'll run it through some committees around heaven and see what we can come up with. Ask me whatever, whatever, whatever you wish and what it will be done for you did you hear that now do you believe it Uh, that's the question isn't it I heard it but do I believe it do you just quickly move past that statement or do you add qualifications there that aren't there in the text ask me whatever you wish I'm talking about condition. We'll get to that. I'm talking about qualifications. There's no qualifications in that daring promise he gives us. Because I think that whenever we actually do talk about prayer, we we spend a lot of time talking about what prayers God doesn't answer. Have you noticed that when we talk about prayer, we spend a lot of time talking about what kinds of prayers God doesn't answer and what to do when God doesn't answer your prayers. We talk a lot about God being silent when we pray. And that certainly happens, but that's not the kind of thing that Jesus focused on in his teaching about prayer. Jesus said things like this that we talked about last week in prayer in John 14, 12, and 13. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and even greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever, whatever, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, anybody has to wrestle with these words, but if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you really do. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that those who follow him will be mighty in prayer. That's what he says. Does he say the... The mighty ones will be mighty in prayer. No, he says, anyone last week, anyone who believes. And this time he's without qualifications. He says, if, if you abide in me, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Jesus says, those who follow me will be mighty in prayer. They will be ones who move mountains. He literally said that. They'll be the ones that change cities. They will be ones who change nations. They will see the power of the almighty God move upon their behalf simply by uttering a request. Jesus says, those who follow me, those who abide in me and ask of me will have angels move at their commands they'll act with the fortunes of heaven backing them. Jesus pictures here even the poorest, youngest, most marginalized Christian exalted regally in prayer. The poorest, youngest, most marginalized Christian exalted regally in prayer. She she kneels and you know what happens? Heaven stops. She kneels in prayer, and heaven stops. She opens her mouth, and it's like all of creation leans in to hear what she has to say. Her tiny voice, this this poor, marginalized, young Christian, somewhere, maybe here, maybe in India, maybe in Africa, maybe in Europe, she kneels, she opens her mouth, heaven stops, All creation leans in and her tiny voice is heard in the halls of heaven. Her tiny voice is heard echoing in the hall of the king of kings and the lord of lords. The cherubim and the seraphim stand in wonder at the attention that she has from the almighty. Satan trembles and curses when she pours forth her little soul before him. And then the request comes. Heaven silent, the Almighty listening, Jesus at the right hand of the Father, the angels wondering, everything standing, Satan cursing, and suddenly a request comes. It's humble and yet it's bold. Her simple requests. And the, the Father smiles, and the Son laughs in joy. A nod is given. Do it. And all of a sudden, heaven is in a flurry. The the Holy Spirit speaks assurance to her soul. Tears fall from her eyes. She begins to sing praise to God. Angels are dispatched. Events affected. People changed. History made. Destinies altered. All All before that girl stands up again. What does she pray for? Who knows what she did there in prayer? Could have been almost anything. She could have been for the soul of a friend whose life will be changed. It could be for a minister in another country, a man who was suddenly on the throes of death, for her school, for her neighborhood, for her church, for her children or her parents, uh, for a war, a meeting of world leaders. The number of things that she could have affected are innumerable at that moment. The real effect of the pouring out and the pouring on of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that's what this means. It means he is poured out upon the soul of a believer so that we are fruitful and we affect things for the world. And for the kingdom of God, that we join in the Lord's mission and we're fruitful in doing so, that we are mighty in prayer. And if this kind of promise sounds outlandish to you, I understand it, if this kind of promise sounds outlandish to you, then you don't really understand the gospel very well if this kind of promise sounds outlandish to you, then you don't really know Jesus very well yet. You might know him, but you don't know him very well yet. Because everything Jesus offers is extravagantly over the top. He offers you forgiveness for your sins. At what cost? His own life. He offers you a clean conscience. He offers you union with God. He offers you fellowship, not just union, not just forgiveness, but He offers you true, real fellowship with God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He offers you the Holy Spirit to dwell within you. He offers you his very name. He adopts you into the family of God. God the Father calls you his blessed and beloved son or daughter. He puts his robe and his ring upon you. He holds and keeps you now, and he secures your future. Everything Jesus offers to you is over and above the top. It is all extravagant. It is all lavish. It is all and unimaginably over the top. So, if this promise, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you, if it sounds outlandish to you, then you don't know Jesus very well yet. What I'm trying to show you is your lack of faith. Your lack of faith to believe that God can and that he will answer prayer, like Jesus says here. Your lack of faith that God really wants to do this through you, your lack of faith that God, and this is important, I think, for most of you, the lack of faith that God actually wants to do this for you, for you, not for somebody else, for you which finally gets us to the condition that he gave concerning the promise. Jesus said that there is a condition for this promise, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. It is a condition, but it's also the grounds of the promise. It is a condition, but it's also, if you understand it, it's actually the grounds that give you confidence in the promise that he gives you to ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. And it's also the reason that most of us don't ask. It's the reason that most of us don't persevere in our asking when we actually do, and it's the reason that most of us don't actually see answers to our prayer. Jesus says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. This promise of prevailing prayer, of being mighty in prayer, isn't just for anyone. It's only for those who are abiding in Jesus. But what does that mean? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Why would that be a condition for this answer? And how can it be grounds that I can find confidence in my praying? For that, we need to go back at verse 1 and verse 5 of John 15. We see this Phrase very similar in these two verses. In the, the beginning of the section, Jesus begins verse 1 of John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And then again in verse 5, right at the beginning of our passage today, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, like a branch would abide in the vine. Whoever abides in me and I in him, as the life of the vine flows into the branch, as the branch rests in the vine, the life of the vine flows into the branch, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, whenever Jesus started off this section to his disciples saying, I am the true vine that would have set off fireworks in his disciples head because the picture of the vine i am the vine was a, used throughout the old testament as a picture of israel it's so much so that by the time uh not too long before jesus and whenever they re, tried to revolt and rebel against the uh the empire that controlled them they actually minted coins with a vine on the coin to show that meant that what stood for israel The vine was a picture of Israel. And throughout the Old Testament, we see this picture in these songs and these prophecies that the vine, Israel, was rescued from Egypt by God, as the people of Israel were, and then he planted it in the promised land. Yet most of the time, whenever God used the picture of the vine for Israel, it's used in judgment in the Old Testament. He comes and says, you're the vine that I've taken out of Egypt and I've planted in the promised land. I've given you a fruitful land. I've watered you. I've given you everything that you need. But he says, you have not been fruitful. What did he mean when he says they haven't been fruitful? It means they hadn't kept their covenant with God. They had ignored his laws. The poor and the widows were forgotten. The immigrants in their midst were mistreated. They were not an example of, a blessing to the pagan nations around them all because they continued to worship false dead idols their worship of false dead idols caused them to be fruitless for God whenever he called them to be fruitful and showcase what it meant to live under God's kingdom now here Jesus says he shows up and he says now i am the true vine and what this would have done, it would have flown in the way, flown in the face of the way that most, the two, the biggest two ways that people viewed Judaism. The Jews were those who were in right relationship to God. They, they believed because God had chosen them. And that was exhibited in two ways. Because if you grew up as a Jew, I'm a part of God's chosen people. Sometimes you'd say, because I'm the lineage of Abraham, because Abraham is my forebearer and I am a Jew, I'm in covenant relationship with God as signified by circumcision, then I'm going to live however I want to live because I'm already in the covenant. Some people said, no, you do it by keeping the law of God. You have to obey his commands and carefully follow the sacrificial system. So because of the lineage of Abraham, some people would just bank on that, and other people would say, no, you've got to keep the law of God, obey his commands, and carefully observe his sacrificial system in order to be in right relationship with God. And the problem was that Jews would ping-pong back and forth just like we do in our lives. They'd ping-pong back and forth between relying upon and abusing their lineage in Abraham and doing whatever they wanted and trusting too much in their own ability to keep the law perfectly. And in doing so, they would wink at sin while they punished other people around them. And those two ways are the default modes of all human religion, including Christianity. Because of the default modes of the human heart. I want to find a way that I can think I'm I'm right, I'm okay, I'm in right relationship with with God, with others, with creation, even myself, without relying upon God or being accountable to him. I want to find a way that I can feel right without being accountable to God or relying upon him. And Jesus shows up and he says, listen, it's not your relationship to Israel. That puts you in right relationship with God. It's not your birth or your backgrounds or your performance that connects you to God. Your standing to God is solely based upon your relationship to me. I am the true vine. He says, I am the seed of Abraham. I am the keeper of the covenant. I am the lamb that was slain for your sin. And I am the true vine. And you can't come to the Father by any other way. You can't come inside. You can't get right any other way. And it makes sense, right? Your relationship to God is determined by whether you're in relationship to God in Jesus There's no longer any mediator. There's no longer a lineage requirement. There's no longer a law that you have to keep perfectly. There's no longer a sacrifice that you have to perform. But you know what happens? We still look to rebuild those same laws. We still either rely upon, because I have the name of a Christian, I'm okay and I can do whatever I want to do, or... We try to keep our rules and regulations stringently, feeling that we can make our own way, make our own righteousness before God, and we demand other people to do the same because the default mode of our hearts is self righteousness. We think we actually want something between us and God because we don't want to utterly rely upon Him. So even in Christianity, we'll find other ways. But well, there's no path to God that way. Whenever you retain the name Christian while living however you want, or you scrupulously try to keep these moral code of laws and rules and regulations that you make yourself feel good whenever you keep them, or you can punish yourself when you don't, and you can do the same to the people around you, placing a burden on them so you can judge them. There is no path to God that way. It ends the same way for us as it did for the Israelites. We become a dry, fruitless vine, or dry, fruitless branches. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. The only way through Jesus. The only way is through Jesus, the true vine. And here's what it means to abide in the vine. Here's what it means to be engrafted into the vine, not relying upon your lineage, not trying to run from God, neither trying to perform on your own to get in right standing before God instead of being going through Jesus alone. It means, first of all, incorporation You are incorporated or being placed into, through Christ, you are placed into right relationship with God. You're brought in. It also means mutual indwelling. It means that you dwell in Christ and Christ dwells in you. And it means fruitfulness. Only in Christ, as you dwell in him and rely upon him alone, Do you submit to him and rely upon him alone, can you find true fruitfulness and true flourishing? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? It means to reject any other allegiance to anyone or anything else other than him. Not just having him be your highest allegiance, but rejecting any other allegiance other than him. If your allegiance is to your family, to your career, to making a certain amount of money, if your allegiance is to a country or a political party, if your allegiance is to a certain lifestyle or culture, if your allegiance is to anything in addition to Christ, then you are not going to be dwelling in the vine. It means to reject any other claim before God, to reject that I have any claim to owe anything from God except through Jesus Christ. He doesn't owe me anything except what he offers me through Jesus, which is everything, but he is the only way to God. There's no way I can prove myself. There's no way I can be good enough or strong enough or smart enough in order to convince God to look upon me favorably. It only comes through Jesus That means you have to accept your own brokenness. It means to abandon yourself, your life, your goals, your aspirations. Abandon everything to Jesus. And it means to rest and trust in Jesus for everything, 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 everything you need. Look, you might be a good wager you might be good at business. If you rest in your ability to make money, you will not rest in Jesus. If you rest in your ability to be beautiful or attractive, you will not rest in Jesus. If you rest in a hope because you're saving for the future, you will not rest in Jesus. Those things have to be your saviors because Jesus won't. To abide in Jesus means to obey him. It does mean radical obedience, but do you see where that obedience comes from? Do you see how it flows? It doesn't flow in order that I obey, in order to prove myself with Christ. It says that Christ alone is is lord and king and savior and i am accepted in him and only in him and because of that i can obey god from his acceptance and not trying to prove acceptance that's what it means to abide in christ and do you see what happens He says a person, that kind of person, who is actively living in that kind of abiding with Christ, that kind of person can ask whatever they wish, and it shall be done for them. Do you have that kind of certainty in prayer? Are you in a place where you can say, I am given whatever I ask? Do you really even believe that this is a a true and real promise from the God who never lies? Or does your prayer life look more like offering half court shots, just throwing them up, hoping that the law of probability, by the law of probability, one of them will finally go in? That's not faith, that's not abiding in Christ. And yet Jesus says that that kind of certainty is possible. He says that those kinds of answers, the whatever-you-wish kind of answers, those exceedingly, abundantly, above, all-that-we-can-ask-or-think kind of answers, those kind of answers are offered to everyone who abides in him, he says. If not, then it means that you aren't abiding in him. It means you're looking for a, a different kind of source and, a different, and living for a different object than the vine. See, at the heart, at the core of abiding is, the, is a concept of not protecting yourself. You can't abide and hold back. You can't abide while being clenched. If so, then your faith will be weak. Your trust in God will be low. And because you distrust him to hold you you or to fulfill your agenda, your desire for his will and glory is going to ebb and flow up and down. Your prayer life will be anemic and your requests will be self-seeking. You see, did you notice what he says? It's not to be our work that does it. And it's not to be our goals. I will do it so that my father is glorified. I think we pray, I mentioned this last week, I'm just going to keep saying it. I think we pray anemic, self-seeking prayers, usually for our comfort or so that we don't suffer and we don't, we're not actually praying for the things that Jesus delights to answer. His exceedingly, abundantly above and beyond kind of requests. The, requests, the kind of requests that if they are, they are fulfilled, the Father is glorified. It's not to be your work or your goals and that's where the rub comes in, isn't it? That's where the rub comes in but it's also where the rest comes in. See, it? you might be okay if you could get what you want and he does the work. You might even be okay if if it was serving if it was if you were to serve him but in such a way that you had that you had to do the work see you get something out of those options you get to feel good about your work or you get your little your fancy tickled by god but god calls us jesus calls us to his goals and to his work and when we respond to that and we pray those kind of prayers you know what happens He gets all the glory, and He will do whatever we ask. Not only that, but exceedingly and abundantly above even what we could ask or think. And what do we get? He gets the glory. He does the work. What do we get? We get the honor to be a part of that, and we get the rest. We get to be fruitful, and we get to rest as He does the work as he glorifies himself. And you get to ask whatever you wish. Do you see the possibilities in that? Do you see the possibilities, first of all, in that abiding in Jesus isn't just the condition for the answered prayer, it's the grails that we have to ask anything that we wish and to believe. In other words, they aren't conditions that we have to perform, but abiding in Christ like all the other promises of Jesus is an offer of extravagant grace, and all we have to do is believe. And think of how things can change if you do. If you abide in Jesus, these promises are inherent in this passage. If you abide in Jesus, it says you will hear his words. you hear that? If you abide in me and my words abide in you. If we abide in Jesus, we will hear his words. Not just hear the word, but we will hear them personally. If we're abiding in him, we'll hear them as his words. They will affect you. They will build faith in you. They will change you. If you abide in Jesus, you will love his words. You won't just hear him. You'll love what he has to say, and you'll care what he has to say. His desires will become your desires. His thinking will become your thinking. You will find your prayers will move from being self-seeking prayers to God-seeking kind of prayers. If you, As you abide in Christ, as you abide in Jesus, you'll pray his words back to him. And this is where your prayers can become amazingly bold. Father, you said right here that you would do this, and I'm asking as a child in the name of Jesus that you would do what you said you would do. And those are the kind of prayers, he says, I will delight in answering. You can ask me whatever you wish because those are the deepest desires of your soul. Ask me whatever you wish and I will do those for you, don't you want to see that? Don't you want to do that? Don't you want to be a part of that? Do you want to live and breathe and accumulate wealth and build a house and move here and move there and date this person and marry this person and have kids and send them off to college? Do you want to do all those things and at the end close your eyes and death and not have participated in this? Do you want to build your kingdom or are you desperate to see God build his kingdom in you and through you for his glory alone? Are you ready? Are you ready to give up on your self-seeking, comfortable life and pray bold prayers that Jesus will delight in answering and it may bring what you would consider today lack of comfort to you. It may cost you but oh, it'll be worth it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? But what does it profit that man who gains the whole world through Christ? Who dares to believe? Who dares to pray? Who dares to hold on? Who dares to say, God, this is what you said you will do, and I'm holding on to you to say, do it, Lord. Because if you abide in Jesus, you will persevere in prayer. How do we find the energy and the confidence to continue in prayer when you don't first see an answer? Elijah prayed a prayer. He believed it so much, he sent a servant to go look for the cloud and he didn't see it. So he prayed more and sent him again. And he prayed more and sent him again. He believed that God would come through. prayed again and again, expecting an answer. How can we do that? We do that by abiding in Him. There we find the energy and strength even to wait, even to pray and continue and to not give up. We bombard the gates of heaven with the very energy of heaven because we are in Christ and He is in us. And all that He has is ours and all that we have is His, so nothing is lost and no fear lives there as we abide in that vine. He speaks a special assurance to our souls. He, I love you. I am with you. You are mine. Your prayers are heard, which leads us to the last, lasting effect of abiding that can have on our prayer. At least the last thing that we can discuss this morning. As we abide in Jesus, his spirit himself will lead us. God's Holy Spirit will Poured out on and within us will speak to us. He will actively lead us. He will show us things to pray. He will place burdens on our heart. He will often tell us when our prayer has been answered, even when nothing yet has changed, when we don't see the answer coming, even before anything changes around us. He will speak to us even as we speak to Him in prayer. What an amazing promise. But the question is Is this your life? Do you this morning, do you even know this Jesus? Are you in him? That's the prayer that you've got to pray this morning. That's the prayer that you must pray today. If you aren't, Lord Jesus, be merciful to me, a sinner. Save me. Be my Lord and master. He will hear that prayer and he will answer it. And Christian, are you abiding in him? If not, What's holding you back? He's calling you in. Abide in me. Come to me, all you are who are heavy laden. I will give you rest. For I am meek and lowly of heart. Come to me and find that I do all the work, but come to me. Rest in me. Oh, and when you do, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Do you think that includes us seeing souls saved? Do you think that includes your heart being moved from being dull and dry to being moved with passion and burning desire and love for Christ and of Christ for souls? Could it mean you serving in different capacities, not just in church, but according to your giftings and abilities and desires exactly in the neighborhood and the home and the workplace and the family in which he has placed you? Do you think he could take you and use you and do exceedingly abundantly and above all that you could ask or think? He can, and he will. If you abide in me, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. Let's not let today, guys, let's not let this lifetime pass without us doing that. Who knows what he could do? But I dare to believe. I'm asking some bold prayers. And I believe he will do whatever I ask for his glory and for our joy.